This is the Organizational Health Advantage Podcast with Keith Hadley and James Felton, Principal Consultants at Table Group. They're in the business of coaching leaders to build strategic focus and cultural alignment that leads to amazing results. This podcast is for leaders who are looking to increase productivity and morale while decreasing politics, confusion, and unwanted turnover. Welcome to the Org Health Advantage. Welcome back to the Org Health Podcast. I'm James Felton. I'm Keith Hadley. Super excited about today's guest. James, tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, we're with Todd Douchy, CEO of SMA. And, and just for some context, SMA provides a workload automation and orchestration platform called Opcon for banks, credit unions, insurance companies, and other financial service businesses. I'm excited because... I've worked with Todd over the last couple of years and been with him through the growth of SMA as some background. If you looked at Todd's resume, you'd see he started out as a computer programmer and then went through the ranks of IT. In 2012, he joined SMA as their chief technology officer. In 2018, he became their president. And in 2020, He became their CEO when PE firm Parker Gale bought a majority share of the business. That's when we were introduced, and it's been an extreme joy and pleasure and blessing to work with Todd. He's he's a great leader, and that's why I'm excited to have him on here. That would actually turn out to be Parker Gale's fastest acquisition to sale in their history when they sold SMA uh, to Toma Bravo last year. So we wanted to talk to Todd about the changes he's implemented and and the learnings he's had as CEO, and I'm just really excited to have him here. So welcome, Todd, to the podcast. Thanks, James. Really appreciate having me on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. This will be fun. Like I said, I've enjoyed our conversations, and it's it's great to have you here. So, Todd, I'd love to hear, first of all, what was that transition like for you between going from president to CEO, and at the same time, it was also going from a family-owned company to a PE-backed company. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it was um, it was a very unusual transition to make, uh, working in a lifestyle business that very much existed for the benefit of the family, and then going into the road of a professionally managed organization uh, backed by Parker Gill. At first, I felt just absolutely incredible about the opportunity. Um, The business was ripe for transition. It was the right time to do it. But let's just say we were not a healthy company. There was a lot of things that we were doing that really supported more of a lifestyle, slow growth type business. And then moving into an equity position where you're expecting the company to grow at a much faster rate. And so we had set up the opportunity for the acquisition to happen. And I'll, I'll say, like, at the time I was announced as president and CEO of the corporation was probably the loneliest day of my life. I had realized <laughs> that we were at a point where the business now needed to change. And all of the ideas that I had, all of the plans that I had been thinking about for years now had to be delivered. And I was the man that had to, like, sit at the top of the pyramid and make that actually happen. And I knew I was sitting with a team that maybe wasn't 100% qualified to take that journey with me. And I was really stressed out about what were the next steps going to be along that journey. So I would say I kind of have a little bit of an atypical transition to the CEO seat and that I was in the business in the number two seat 
and then to change ownership and change title and responsibility at the same time was uh, something that took me a few months to settle into and to get comfortable with. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> no, it's just, like, <laughs> There's so many things great, I want to jump. <laughs> yeah. But my I, thought is like, what a great day. And, and yet you felt like the loneliest person in the room. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a very scary uh, experience at first. And I think the, the main reason that I say that was I had the opportunity to go through diligence. I got to meet the Parker Gale team and I knew them on day one. I knew that's who I wanted to partner with. And you go through the dating experience and everything feels great. And the day of the sale is kind of like a wedding day. And is the next day going to be like the beginning of the rest of your life and what you expected dating was going to be the evolution or was it going to be something totally different? And in the case of Parker Gale, I found nothing but support as we went forward. But I was just terrified that I had to deliver this whole plan that we had put together of how we were going to transform the business. Yeah. And as you know, during diligence, you only have a partial plan. You don't actually get a full-blown plan until the first year, really, to make that transition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, we sometimes use this quote from Mike Tyson of, you know, it, it, you know, it's great to have a – everybody has a plan, and the plan is great until you get punched in the face. And so <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm curious for you, like what were, what were some of those early experiences of being, quote, punched in the face, meeting up with reality where you realize, oh, this is, this is harder than it looks? Yeah. So um, when we first got started, right, your, your board meetings and your planning sessions are all very optimistic and you're looking to the future and just getting basic things done feel really good that you're getting just building block things going as you're setting up the business for the next chapter of growth. And then comes the very first time when your sales forecast doesn't look good. Maybe you didn't hit your numbers, your financials aren't exactly where you need them to be. And you walk into that board meeting, and you've got bad news to go through with the team. And that's like not a good place to be as the CEO. And what I would say my my biggest lesson learned from that is I took it so personal that I had to be perfect in that room and that my team had to be perfect. I think I set up a situation of failure for the company right out of the gate and that we were trying to prove to the board that even though things were bad, we were smart enough and we were going to make it better going mm -hmm. forward. And it was quickly turned into a management against a board a type of a situation. And through that, I, I debugged several times with James, and I'm sure he remembers the conversations along with Angela as well along the way, in that I needed to practice vulnerability-based trust with the board as much as I needed to practice it with my team. And that first couple of punches in the face and some of those early board meetings weren't fun as we were fighting, but eventually I learned to condition the board to let's sit on the same side of the table and look at the same problem in the same direction. And as soon as we started collaborating, magic started happening and results started happening. Transformation of the business really occurred at that point in time. The transition didn't start with the leadership team. It actually started with a combination of the leadership team and the board solving the same problems at the same time. I, I, I just want, James, I know you want to dive into this too, but if, if you could just capture that in a headline, like what advice would you give another leader who's listening to this, who's like finding himself in that or herself in that same exact position of like, oh gosh, what do I do now? This is not going well. Yeah. I mean, to me, the nutshell capture there is it's about building a comprehensive team, not just building a management team. If you're not having a team approach with your board, 
you're no better off. And if you're all not rowing in the same direction, it really doesn't matter how good the management team plan is if you're not really in lockstep with where you're bored and where they want you to go as well. Yeah. And so my mistake was working on building a leadership team, not necessarily building a total comprehensive you know, oversight team for the company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and when you talk about like that, the, the difference between going from a family run company to, uh, you know, a, a, a PE back company, do you think you understood the differences at the time? Question one. And then do you think your team really understood the difference at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say yes and no. Uh, yes to your first question and no to the second. And to explain that, when I was first appointed president, I had the opportunity to build a leadership team at SMA supporting a founder who owned the business. And the team that we built was very much, I would call it a defensive team. Mm-hmm. We were helping the founder maintain and protect what he had with minor advancements moving forward on the business. So the style leaders that we had in the organization were more about protecting the company than actually growing and accelerating the company. And I knew there was going to be a transition when we went to private equity that we would have to change that mindset. I don't think I knew that I would be changing out literally every member of the team over the next year. I definitely did not know that on day one, but I knew the performance had to change radically. And my team members, I think they all originally thought we're going to do some tweaks and we're going to do a little bit of tuning and it's going to be okay in the long run. But the reality was it wasn't tweaks and tuning. It was like rip the engine out and put a new engine in and change significant parts of the organization. And that's where we ended up with very significant transformation on our leadership team. Literally, we swapped every single position on the leadership team within a two-year period of time. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that again, because I didn't want it to get lost in the middle of of your answer there. But one of the things we really appreciate about you and your leadership was your ability to see the need and then to execute the bold moves that you made on the executive team. So can you talk about that process? Because clearly, well, maybe it's not clear. You didn't do it all at once. So talk about like just the, how that happened and, and what you're, you were seeing along the way. And we don't have to get into too specific, but, you know, just talk about how that change happened over time. I guess where I would start with is we just had a natural progression. We started with a plan for how we wanted to tackle the business. And it started with, we knew we had some unhealthy resources in the company. There were a lot of friends and family in the business. And we knew we needed to go through a really hard riff. Like we just knew that up front was one of the stages we were going to have to go through. After that, we moved into more like optimized functions. And we got into the mode of we worked on our sales processes first. Then we started moving into some marketing processes. We were doing some shaping along the way of our technology And it was like, as we were moving forward, I guess I would call it like step-by-step of the plan that we would go through. I would work with the different leaders that were in that area. We would have feedback from our leadership team, feedback from the board, and we would concentrate on one area. I'm sure if I was that leader of that area, I probably felt a little bit uncomfortable having all the magnification of the entire company, the board, and everybody looking at that area. They all knew we were working in that space. 
but it was it was very telling as you would start putting the focus on it was does that person like i talked about before were they playing defense or were they actually open-minded and wanting to play offense and make it better and i use that as my guiding principles if somebody was trying to work with me to make it better and they were willing to embrace the feedback that we were given or the coaching that we were being given then you have something to work with but as soon as the defensive posture starts and someone doesn't want to like open their mind to a different way of doing things it became very very difficult and that most of the time is what would lead to a transformation of a position was we're not on board with change or we're open and willing to give something a try I, I, I want you to go deeper on that idea of playing offense versus defense. What were some of the behaviors, the telltale signs that you as the CEO were seeing that that caused you to say like, okay, th- this is now clear? Because nobody would come out and say, hey, by the way, I'm playing offense now. Like, how did you, how did yep. you know? What did you see? Yep. So the first thing that I just I'll put out there just to make it really clear is a lot of times we would have conversations in board meetings and such, and we'd get a lot of um, disagreement would start happening in the early days where we were looking at things differently. And we would have a lot of conversations with the board about what would just happen and where we were going. But at no time did the board pressure me to say, you've got to make a change. It's like the board's call that we're going to you know, change a sales leader or a finance leader or any other position it was always left to me to make those decisions. Hmm. And what would always happen is anytime there was a problem is you just sit down and you have a conversation. Like, how did you think that meeting went? What did you see that you could have done differently? What would you have done differently? How could you have prepared differently? Why, why didn't we handle the feedback from the last session to where we are today? And if you feel like someone's leaning into the conversation and improving and using data and moving the conversation forward, that's a great feeling that we've got something to work with. But when it's like, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and I'm just going to format a data for a report to make the board think I'm doing something different or just reshape data. Like you can start feeling that as CEO. You also have situations where it's like um, the person just wants to defend their turf of why what they're doing is right rather than taking feedback for there's a, a, a new way to maybe even give it a try. And if the door is just cracked open and we're not willing to even look to the other side, that's a bad sign versus when we just keep wanting to pull the door closed and do what we've always done. So the the third thing that I would comment on is it became pretty easy for me to really figure out, was somebody leaning in to win or were they just pushing back to be right? It's like, are we proving that we're trying to actually advance the business or are we just trying to prove that we're right in our philosophy? And those are probably the three things that I would like tone in on the most. And again, as long as I felt forward motion, I was okay keeping the train going forward. But as soon as I felt two or three of those different behaviors leaning backwards is when harder conversations started, usually leading to a transformation. Were you aware that you were doing it at the time? Like, was this on purpose or, or is this something that in retrospect, you kind of, you've been able to put these labels to? Um, Definitely retrospect, being able to put a label to it. And I would say in the early days, I got it wrong more than I got it right. And I had a lot of help from James along the way and Angela and those other um, companies that we had partnered with, other board members that I was working with along the way. One of the challenges you run into when you become CEO is you're expected to know the whole business and you come from a certain track. And I'm a product guy. I'm a tech guy. I came from that track. I'd never run sales. I'd never run finance. I'd never run marketing. 
And knowing what good or bad looks like is a learned skill that you'll have to develop over time. And by learning more about the style or the tone of the answers and are we moving forward or moving back was a learned skill that I got because I'll never be an expert in marketing or sales or those other functions that are out there. But I can quickly determine, are we all going in the same direction and trying to get to this new place? Or are we trying to justify our existence and looking backwards? Todd, I, I think one of the things that helped was a transition you you folks made, and I remember you and you and I talking about this a bunch. But I remember this offsite where you were offering help to one of the functional leads that you had on your team. You know, it was like, "Hey, this is your department. Let us know how we can help." And the transformation there, the mindset shift was. Hey, this is our department. Let's all look at how we can help. Let's all mm -hmm. look at how we can improve things in our department. Whatever it was, you know, maybe it was sales or or engineering or what, but you stop looking at it as like that's their department and the team started looking at it as that's our department and we can all be part of the solution here. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, there was a huge transformation. I remember that meeting vividly. And I would argue that what you saw was the beginning of the ELT getting it right, but we were still getting it wrong, even though we thought we were getting it right. <laughs> and what I mean by that was we had a situation where there was an area that wasn't where it needed to be. We we're getting a lot of feedback from the board. As leadership team, we were not happy with the results that we were getting in this area. And I had been just harping on the principles of table group and that we needed to go support this leader. This leader had a problem. And so we embraced the concept of how can we help this person? We're all in it together. And everybody felt good that we were offering help. But the part that was missing is, is that the leadership team wasn't owning the problem. They were there offering advice, offering assistance, tell us anything you need and we'll make it happen. And people were willing to give up people. They were willing to give up resources. They were willing to give up budget. But in that particular moment, James, everybody was still looking at that one person. Okay, so you got all the support. What are you going to do to fix your problem? It took us about another quarter or two to, to expand our mindset to we have a problem we're needing to dig out of this issue. It's not one person's problems. It's all of our problem. And it reshaped the conversation significantly because it wasn't about little things that needed to happen. There was like big work that needed to transition in that space. And without everyone actually going in and working in that department and giving the support that was needed until we were able to turn that corner. So I would say, you know, at a high level, there's understanding that we're all in it together. And then there's actually being all in it together. And it kind of like a journey that we had to go through to get to that level of performance. Yeah. Oh, that was really cool. I remember those conversations. By the way, we should just pause and say throughout this process, you are one of the most open minded leaders that we've experienced, you know, um, and and what I think was also cool and probably hard to navigate was you were listening to a lot of different people. You know, you mm -hmm. had Angela, myself. You had the Parker Gale folks. You had people that were on the board that weren't from Parker Gale. You know, you were you were seeking a lot of counsel and open minded to it. But you also had to navigate your way through it because, you know, you would hear 
different things at times. And so I, I just have always, we've, Angela and I have always appreciated your open-mindedness. I appreciate that. I think that's actually one of the superpowers that I have is being able to take feedback and kind yeah. of translating that into our entire group is the team that we have now is just incredibly open-minded and incredibly coachable. And yeah. I think that really was our defining moment of what took us from good to great to be yeah. able to complete a transformation of the business in only two years on what was supposed to have been a five-year plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, just to mention the Angela that James is referring to, Angela Vasquez, our one of our our consultants who's based in in Texas, and uh, I've worked with Angela a ton, and she does have kind of a superpower of just since you use that word, of just like seeing a dynamic and picking up on a dynamic in the room that others might be missing. So yeah, kudos yeah. Yep. to the whole group. Sometimes that's painful to hear, but she's <laughs> yes. got a, a keen eye for that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, maybe you are, you, maybe you've already kind of tipped your hand here, but I, like, when did you see the momentum shift outside of that meeting? You know, when, when did you start to see the team build momentum towards like more change? Did it, did it involve like literally swapping people out who just weren't getting it? Or did, what was that process like when you started to feel there's, there's been a sea change? Um, the biggest transformation of momentum shift was the business always, struggled with new business development. We were a small word of mouth advertised company. We didn't need a lot of sales support. We didn't need a lot of marketing sales support or marketing support. Our customers just sang praises about the great product that we had and the team that we had and the domain expertise knowledge that we brought with it. Great for a lifestyle business, but when you're PE back and you're expected to be growing at 20 plus percent per year, that's a little bit harder situation. And we had to build all the mechanics of a sales process and build the leaders to drive that process. And it wasn't until we actually had momentum where those changes were working. We had the right people in the right seats on the bus. The team was getting rebuilt. Leads were starting to come through the door, hitting our numbers again. And the growth was going the way that was going, to, uh, going in the right direction. At that point is when I started feeling a lot more confident. And I think the rest of the leadership team started feeling a lot better of, wow, when we do open our minds, when we do take advice, we can transform and we can make this thing better than it was before. But I mean, it definitely took a little bit of success to get everyone to start seeing it that way. And then once that momentum was going, it was easy to see that propagate across all the other functions of the company. It just became, look what we were able to do here with focus. We just talked about focus so much of this is what we're doing now and this is what we're going to do next. And when people saw the spotlight come to their area after that, they knew it was for good and for the benefit of all rather than just, I screwed up and I've got the spotlight on me. It, it became less punitive and more truly helpful that we were looking to help each area of the business improve. In the work that we do, we often find that dynamic. It reminds me of a business book I read when I was in my 20s called The Goal. It's all about operational efficiency. And the idea is, you know, you talk about bottlenecks. And so you remove a bottleneck and what's, what do you, what, what's the next thing that happens? You simply reveal the next bottleneck. And so right. I've encouraged leaders on teams that have endured a particularly difficult season of being in the hot seat or being in the spotlight to say, hey, look at, you know, it's going to shift marketing's next, sales is next, product's next, engineering's next, finance is next. And that's, and that's a good thing. It's a sign of progress. One of the things, I mean, James and I talked about this a lot early on and Parker Gale talked about it as well. It was just a little expression called you can't fix a secret. 
And nobody wants to talk about their problems. They always want to show up in the board meeting or in the exec team meeting with good news and the green report card. And the reality is, is that's the worst frame of mind to have. And the more you talk about the problems, the easier things get. And it becomes about helping the team with the problem rather than this person has a problem. And it was just such a transformation to get everybody to open up to that mindset of like, we're all in it together. There are no secrets here. Put everything on the table and we can work through it. And sometimes you have multiple problems that you're working through at the same time. And you just have to have the courage and the ability to sort through all of that and figure out which one matters most right now. And that's where we're going to spend our time. And then we'll move on to the other ones later. This might be a hard question to answer. Uh, I don't know if you've given it thought. You said one of your superpowers is like being open to feedback, being open-minded. Have you always been that way? Where, where where did that come from? Uh, I think if you asked my wife, you'd find out, no, that I've not always <laughs> been that way. Um, it's definitely a learned behavior. Um, just kind of putting myself out there. I always considered myself to be a really smart guy and I could figure things out on my own and put me in a room by myself long enough and we'll come up with something good out the other side. And again, when I had that transformation moment of sitting in the CEO seat and realizing there was so much work to do in so many areas that I didn't know what to do, I had a choice. I could either fake it and pretend I knew it all and probably fail miserably, or I could just accept that I am who I am and I know what I know and surround myself with really smart people that could offer great advice. And if people are willing to give me advice, why shouldn't I be willing to take it? And that's what I did. I found Table Group. I found Hogan. I invited in uh, independent board members, Parker Gale. I'm a member of the Vistage community. Got a lot of advice from that group as well. And you sort through it all and you figure out what decision you think is right out the other side. And you're not afraid to turn the bus when you make a mistake and do something different if something doesn't work. And what I found through all of that is my life has gotten a lot easier. I'm a lot happier. My team's a lot happier. Sometimes we drive ourselves crazy because we'll try something and it doesn't work and we try something else. And we sometimes view it as we're changing direction. But at the end of the day, we're real-time testing all the time and figuring out what works and what doesn't. And we're not afraid to fail fast. How has the um, transition to Tomo Bravo been now that you've had this team? And, you know, clearly you made the bold moves that we talked about, but now you've got a new company backing you how's the transition been compared to the to when parker gale took over yeah so it's very interesting when you go from one of the smaller private equity firms to arguably one of the largest private equity firms of course things are going to be very different priorities are different how you look at the business is different and i think this is where sma's real strengths of being open-minded coachable you know wanting to learn all the time is going to play to our strengths more than anything Tomo Bravo has a very unique way of how they look at the world and how to position a company and to understand its health versus other aspects. And we're doing great. Um, we're only three and a half months into the journey of this new partnership. We are crushing all of our numbers. We're on track to crush our numbers again this quarter. Like that all feels great, but that's not really where the success is. The success is we're learning new things. We're learning how to you to apply new playbooks to the business and scaling the business to probably three to five X where it is right now over the next four years. 
you can't get there doing what you've always done. One of my favorite books is what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. And like, we have to throw away, maybe not throw away completely, but throw away a lot of the stuff that we've learned in the past and now put it on a whole new plateau. And it's just going to come with all the same things that we did in the last time. What's working today and what's not. And you'd go at piece by piece by piece. And to your point, Keith, even as soon as you break down one barrier, you're just looking for the next, I use the word bottleneck. You look for the next bottleneck and the next bottleneck and you're using data to judge it as you go. I, 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 this is so great. I'm, I'm holding up a little graphic so you can't see it on the podcast. But one of the things that we talk about at Table Group all the time is, you know, we, we, we want to discern whether uh, a client's going to be a good client. And, and the two criteria that we use to discern, uh, Todd, you're just like embodying these two things. And so the two that we talk about is, is the leader open to change, open minded? So we'll, are they going to be responsive to input? If they are, hey, this that's great. We're going to have a good time. If they're not, it's we're going to just make each other really miserable. Second characteristic is, do they have courage? Are they strong enough to make some of the hard decisions that we know they're going to have to make? And it's not you know just removing people. It's maybe changing directions or admitting when they're wrong, uh, or you know focusing a product line or focusing a business and re- exiting a market. I mean, there's so many things that require courage. So this idea, this this combination of open mindedness and courage, um, and it, it's just it's great to see how maybe effortless it seems for you, uh, but so many leaders really really struggle. I mean, what maybe maybe this is just more of a double down, but like, what advice would you give to a leader who is struggling in either one of those fronts? I appreciate the kind words on that. If I'm making it look easy, it definitely is not. <laughs> um, to be able to tell the story historically is a lot easier than living it in the moment and thinking going forward. Um, a lot of what we've done has come at the expense of many a sleepless night and a lot of awkward conversations sitting in the executive team setting, trying to work through different problems. And the the best advice I can give to anybody is honestly trust your gut instincts and trust the data a little bit more. You know, you've got to have the data helping you as you go along the way, but it doesn't tell you everything that you need to know. And sometimes you just got to feel it out, whether it be a personality difference or is there an undercurrent or a tone that's not going in the right direction, or maybe it's just, it's time to make a product shift like you talked about. And it's time to go take a chance and try that next evolution of your technology or a new vertical or something like that. And if you're not trying new things, you're quickly going to fail. I mean, you, you've got to constantly be innovating, whether it be with your people, your processes, or your products. Yeah. I just thought of a, 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 a topic that I wanted to ask you. We haven't asked of other people, but I think yours, you have such a good example here um, based on the size of your organization and the help that this person provides. But can you talk about having a great executive assistant and what that has done for you? Um, wow. Um, so a huge shout out to Karen McKee. I got to give her, got to give her the stage. Um, she is incredible. Met her a couple of years before we started the journey with private equity. And um, I didn't know how to use a private or a executive assistant when I started. And Karen trained me uh, 100%. And having a partner, and I mean every definition of the word partner, Karen is that partner here in the office to me and the leadership team. 
to be able to just manage the day-to-day expectations that are going on. Heck, I don't think I would have made it to this podcast on time if it wasn't for her today, making (laughs) sure I was here and that my calendar was clear. She's just always looking out ahead as I'm focusing and running the day-to-day operations that I need to do. She's always looking one to two weeks ahead, making sure that I don't have conflicts and problems out there. And it just frees my mind up to focus on the business while she takes care of everything else. I, wow, I, I, I wouldn't be able to function without her. Yeah, I, I think she does a great job of looking ahead and also looking for your best interest. Yeah. And the attention to detail that she has, yeah. I mean, like literally understanding my needs and every member of the team. Uh, I mean, just uh, I'll give a quick example. We do a lot of offsite meetings. Uh, James, you know, we we go down to Galveston a lot. We have these great offsites. Karen will literally watch people's behaviors for weeks and months. And when you show up at that offsite, everything that you like to eat or drink is just there. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to encourage it. It just automatically happens. If there's nut allergies or gluten allergies or anything else, she knows it. And she has everything prepared, so you just never worry about a bad experience. Every every one of our offsites has gone up perfectly because of her. Yeah, and and knowing her, that's just like a small slice of like seeing how effective she is play out. But she is doing things every day to to help you and to help the team be more effective and efficient in your jobs. For sure. Yeah, yeah, and I think leaders sometimes just don't believe how beneficial it is to have somebody like Karen on, you know, on their staff. I mean, I guess the other area that I would point out is she's just very in tune with people's feelings and emotions and reading the room when maybe I'm not, or I'm focused on a problem and she's focused on the people yeah. for her to be able to call things out and say, Hey, did you think about this? Or did you know that? Or just want you to be aware someone so is going through this situation or I picked up on feedback and she'll share it with me. Yeah. She, she completes the whole picture without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and somebody clearly you trust her with uh, like almost anything. And it's it's not only important to have a great EA, but like one that you can trust with everything she's in those offsites, like she's listening in, she knows everything that's coming out of those offsites. And um, so she knows everything strategically, culturally going on and, and you know, you can trust her to, keep it in the vault as well. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. This has been awesome. Hey, I don't know. You have anything else you want to ask him? I mean, we've, Keith, no, I, this is I, great. I, I this is great. Okay. I, yes, I do. I have a thousand things, but I also know we need to keep this a shorter podcast. <laughs> yes. Yes. So Todd, thank you so much for your time. This has been such a pleasure. I knew we would learn so much from you. And uh, you have so much to offer. And and I know our listeners are going to really value this episode. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. All right. We'll see you next time on the Org Health Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Org Health Advantage. Your hosts, Keith and James, are helping leaders change the world of work and invite you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. For more resources on building stronger teams and organizational health, check out tablegroup.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.